Okay, if you could take your Bibles together with me, we're looking again in the book of Titus in chapter number 2. In Titus chapter number 2. And I'll just read one verse to start this morning, and of course include the rest of them that are in this context as we go along. Verse number 13, and here's what it says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for what they say to us. That you have a people. And those people are identifiable. And this verse is one of the ways of identifying them. They are a people who anticipate your coming. Not only anticipate it, but look forward to it. Whose attitude is that you are our great God and Savior. And so, Father, we praise you and thank you. There may be many things in this old world that disappoint us and discourage us and let us down and hurt us. But, Father, we know that if we know you and we trust in you, we also trust in the promises you've made. And one being that you're coming back again. And so we praise you for that wonderful thought. We ask you to lead us and guide us this morning as we think on these things. We'll give you the praise and the glory for what you do for us. In Christ's name we pray and amen. Now of course as you know, for a long time now I've been focusing on verse number 14. And that verse teaching us that Christ came to this world with a purpose that he died on the cross of Calvary with a purpose, and that is to redeem a people to himself. And since his first coming to this earth, until he comes back again, as we find in our verse we read this morning, that's what he's been about doing. He's been about redeeming unto himself and purifying unto himself a peculiar people. And I don't want to get too far away from that verse as I address these other verses. As you know, I have been for some time now. This passage of Scripture starts in verse 11 and goes down through verse number 14. And it is just one of the most awesome texts anywhere in the Bible. And as I've said before, it is a text that incorporates everything that the Lord is about doing, everything that involves our life, and so... If I didn't have anything else to preach from, from now on till I leave this world, or my Savior comes back, these verses are so full of encouragement and in truth. And so, I just want to remind you that there is a special people, a special people in the world today, a special people that have left this world, have departed this world, that we long to see, I'm sure, someday, but there's a special people And I took some notes. These points came to me just really, really fast, and I wrote them down. I don't mean that they're 
incorporate everything the Bible says about this people that are a special people, but I just want to share them with you as we begin. And if you want a list of the things I've written down, I'll share them with you anytime. But there is a special people, a special people. And the first thing I wrote down is they're special because they are chosen. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 9, you are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. So they're special because they're chosen. They're special because He has settled the sin question for them, redeemed from all iniquity, as we find in verse 14. They are special because He has bought them. He's paid for them. He bought them. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And that's one of the meanings of the word peculiar, His own possession. They are special because He has given them a new heart and a new nature. And that makes them different from the rest of the world. They are special because He has imputed to them His righteousness. They are special because He has poured out His love in their hearts. They are special because He has put His fear in them, as Jeremiah said, and so that they will not depart from Me. They are special because He leads them in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. They are special because He has built them into a holy priesthood. Revelations in chapter 1 verse 5 said, He has made us kings and priests. They are special because He has infused His effectual grace in them. All of those things. I'm sure you this morning can think of other things that I could have included, but there is a special people. There's a special people in this world today, and I believe with all my heart they are identifiable. They are identifiable in this context, not only here, but many other places in the Bible. And of course, if you believed all these things that I've read to you, then you would understand why they have to be identifiable. They have to be a people that stand out from the rest of the depraved and fallen world that we live in. And that's His will for our lives, that we are different from the unregenerate world that we live in. So they are identifiable. Now I've shared with you from this context that they are identifiable because they're teachable. The Bible says the grace of God to bring a salvation that appeared to all men, teaching us. Who are the us that are there? They are this people that I'm preaching about. They are teachable. Number two, they are godly. He says that they have denied ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Does it mean they're perfect and never make a mistake? That's not what it means. It means in their heart, in their desire, as they serve Him, they are a godly people. And this morning, I add one to that. They are assured. They are secure. Now, I want to tell you, you travel around this world and talk to them, you can identify one of them in a heartbeat. Because in the conversation, it'll come out how that they trust the Lord and they know the things that He's promised them are waiting them. So they are a secure people and an assured people and they are scripturally 
hopeful as we find in our passage of Scripture. I know that as you listen to me this morning, that probably many of you, maybe all of you, can relate to that. You can say, I know the promises my Lord has made to me, and I am trusting in that. So in our text verse that we have this morning, we find that that tells us that. They are, in verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of of our great God, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what they're like. That's one of those marks that we have set it forth by our text. I'm just going to share with you just a couple of points this morning from this verse. And I know that you, like myself, will rejoice in the great truths that are shared here. I want to share with you, first of all, that this verse describes the next great event that's going to happen. You would say, will it be a world-changing? You better believe it. It will be world-changing. A world-changing. It Nothing and nothing will ever be the same again. As a matter of fact, the Bible says even the elements that we know about are going to melt with fervent heat. There's all kinds of wonderful things that are going to happen. The next great event. I was talking to one of our men a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, and we were talking about change that we had noted in this world that we live in and the condition of things around us. And he asked me the question. He said, Brother Thomas, do you believe that we're approaching that time when Jesus is going to return. And I do. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that it's coming, and I believe it's coming soon. And we need to be ready and prepared. Now the two things that are used in our text this morning to describe that great event, I'm going to separate them. If you notice in that verse, it says this, looking for, number one, the blessed hope, and then we have that word and... We have a little conjunction that are there. And glorious appearing. And so that next great event, I believe, is being described here in our verse in two ways. A blessed hope and a glorious appearing. Now I'm going to reverse them. I'm going to turn them around as I share some thoughts with you related to those two statements. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I think it affects... Uh, everyone who, every person, all all people. As a matter of fact, one of them, I believe, uh, describes how the world in general is going to uh, experience this. But the other one is only those who are the redeemed. It'll be their experience. And so I'm going to turn them around because I want to share with you first that part of his coming back to this world again that is going to be experienced by Everyone, by everyone. And of course, the Bible just says it is a glorious appearing. A glorious appearing. And uh, I, I, I think that that's true. I know it's true. It will be a glorious appearing. And I have to confess this morning that the more I study and think about that, and the more that I read verses of Scripture pertaining to that, the more I feel inadequate and unworthy to even address that glorious appearing that's about to happen. I set out early in the ministry uh, reading after 
uh, men that took certain positions, and they are different positions related uh, to the second coming of our Lord. It's called the doctrine of eschatology, and we people disagree. There's great disagreement. Brother Moore and I have talked at length about that very fact. And starting out a long time ago, of course there are men who take a certain position, and that position is called dispensational premillennialism. And I thought surely that is such a wonderful thing. And I began to, there are, there are men uh, in, in recent years, not in, don't go way back, just recent years, who have taken that up and made it the primary focus of their ministry and have written book after book after book after book after book. And of course I have, I have a stack of them in my study and I have read them and I've thought about them and I've just about come to conclusion that those who uh, make that their primary focus in the ministry are in my in my opinion, the most wrong about things that are going to happen related to the coming again of our Savior. Now on Wednesday night, as I've shared with you, I I teach on subjects that come from the people, the questions that they ask. And boy, there's been, over the years, a lot of questions related uh, to that. And just recently, Sister Shirley, she asked a question related to that. And... uh, she reminded me Wednesday night, you know, some of these subjects I'm going to be teaching on, every once in a while somebody will say, well, I'll be glad when that time comes. I really think a lot about that. I've wondered about certain things. Well, of course, I wonder too. And I, I don't hesitate to make, make it clear. If I'm not sure about something, I'll tell you I'm not sure. I may have a theory and I'll sure share that with you in a heartbeat. But this matter... There's a lot of uncertainty in our world about the things that are surround the coming again of our Savior, that glorious appearing. As a matter of fact, one of them, I shared, Shirley and I talked about it this morning because I wanted to get it clear what her question was. And her question, this is one of our studies that are coming, her question was, how is it that uh, he, when he comes back again, that he raises up the dead and we go to meet him in there and come back to this earth and can you teach on... And I said, well, I sure will. And so I'll share my beliefs about those things. But uh, as time goes on, as time goes on, I, I wonder more and more. As a matter of fact, I shared with you that this view of dispensational premillennialism, uh, I, I run into something. I studied and studied and I run into some questions that were serious. I mean serious. And made me, and as a matter of fact, uh, some, some of them who write on this and teach on this, they, they assume certain things are true, then they have to assume other things, even though it's not taught in the Bible. It has to be this way or that way. And that's a wrong way to do it. I'll tell you what I've come to conclusion this morning. Jesus is coming back. Now, we may question things that are involved in that, but I will tell you this verse of Scripture tells us it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. Now, this glorious opinion, I think something interesting about that, this glorious opinion, and I I, I, uh, thought about this, there's going to be a glorious appearing because there's been a glorious disappearing. You say, preacher, what do you mean when you say a glorious disappearing? In the book of Acts, You can turn there if you want to, and I'll read a few verses in your hearing. 
in the book of Acts in chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. And here's what the Bible says uh, beginning in about verse uh, 7. Jesus tells his disciples, they ask him a question uh, saying, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel in verse number 6 and 7 he says this, and he said unto them, it's not for you to know uh, the times and the season which the Father hath put in his power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost, uttermost parts of the world. Now I tell you what, sometimes I read things in the scripture and I think, boy, you know, wouldn't it have been neat to have been there with those disciples? Wouldn't it have been neat to hear him say those words and be a part of the questions that were asked him? And then the Bible says in the ninth verse, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Imagine what that would have been like if you'd have been standing there. You know, the, the believers during Christ's earthly ministry, they witness some pretty awesome things. I mean, they just witnessed that. How, how in the world there could have been? I come to this conclusion a long time ago. The Bible says that there were people who did not, would not believe on him. And I think, how could that possibly be so? Some of the things they witnessed and the things they saw, how could that possibly be so? Of course, Jesus explained that. He said, it's not given unto you. And so, well, I want to tell you something this morning. You won't believe on him until it's given unto you. That's just the way it is. And so he says here that he was taken up uh, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Oh, I tell you what, it would have made my heart race if I'd watched my Lord and Savior just raise from the earth and just go up in the sky and go into the clouds and disappear from my sight. I can imagine they stood there with their mouth open in amazement at what they had seen. What did they see? They saw a, a glorious disappearing. They sure did. And I'll read on these verses. Verse number 10. And it says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, I imagine once he went out of their sight, they just kept standing there. And they kept looking. And they kept looking. They, it was an unbelievable event. And, and steadfastly in heaven. And as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. In verse 11 it says, Which said also, Ye men of Galilee... Why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? And then listen to this. This same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So there's going to be a glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think about that passage of Scripture it is in the book of First uh, Thessalonians and, and chapter number 4. And I just want to read some of these verses uh, in your hearing. In chapter number 4 of First Thessalonians and beginning here in, in verse uh, 
number 13. Number 13. It says this. Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And this is an important statement that's made there in your King James Bible. When you find that, that, that is the word for death. That's not taking a nap. That's the word for death. Not to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. And you know, we don't want to be. I'm sure that many of you, like myself, uh, you've, we've lost people that we loved. We loved dearly, and we've lost them. I'm surprised sometimes about how I feel about people that I've lost that I love. And the amount of time that has gone by, and I share with you every once in a while about my grandfather. And I, I just did not realize when I was a little boy, I was only nine years old when he died. I didn't realize how much I loved him. And not long ago, somebody was asking me questions about uh, him and my parents and things like that. And, and I just felt so bad because I broke down like a little baby and started crying. I mean, it's sometimes it seems the longer that they've been gone, the more I miss them. And I think every once in a while, how I'd like to have them back for a little conversation. I have so many questions that I'd like to ask them. And so the Bible says that we should not be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. That's what he's saying. Concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now we sorrow for those that we have lost and we know that they have gone to be with the Lord. We know they have. We know they're saved. I, I remember when my mother passed away. And of course she had cancer. And uh, she suffered. Not a lot. Just I was amazed. I couldn't hardly believe how well she did. She lived with Sue and I for some period of time before she passed away. I was right there holding her hand when she died. And I, I was surprised how little she suffered. But she did suffer a little bit. And you know, when she did pass, I, I, have, I was relieved. I was relieved because I know she wouldn't go into suffer anymore. And so we're not to sorrow as those who don't have any hope. Now remember in our text, and the other part that I'm going to be sharing with you, it's called a blessed hope. And so we're not to sorrow as we would for them that have no hope. I, you know, I've shared this with you a lot of times over the years from the pulpit. I, I've, I, I consider it a blessing to have been able to preach so many funerals over the years. And so many of them have been people who did not bear any fruit whatsoever. Those are difficult. They really are hard. Because... In my view, the worst thing in the world could ever happen to anybody is to live their life and then die and go to hell. I mean, live their entire life thinking about things that are of this earth and the world and then die without Jesus Christ. Isn't that an awful, awful thought? But I can't help but think that. So there are those who pass from this world that have no hope. Then Paul goes on to give us something glorious. He says this, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep 
in Jesus will God bring with Him. They're going to be with Him when He comes back. He's not going to come back all alone. There's going to be some with Him. For this I say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And I know I've shared this with you. Sue said I tell things over and over. Well, I tell them because they're precious to me and there's somebody listening that had never heard it. But I've been asked the question, where will you want to be one of these days when the Lord comes back? And I've said this, I want to be in the middle of the biggest cemetery in the country doing a committal service for someone to witness what's fixing to happen. Oh, it says that we which are alive and remain. And we're not going to go up until they go up. We're going to go right up with them. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then these words. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Why is it a comfort? That brings me to our next description. It may not be a comfort to the uh, unregenerate world. There's a lot of people in this world that, oh, I got to tell this story again. I've told it before, I know, but I got to tell you again. There are people in this world that's not a good thought. I remember one time the church where I pastored years and years ago, and in this little community, the Jehovah's Witness would go through little cycles. They'd come and visit. Now, in that community, that was the most unique uh, experience I've ever had in the ministry because I knew everybody, whether they was a member of the church or not. And man, I tell you what, most of them on that church field, I'd been in their house and eat at their table, and I just knew everybody. I knew everybody. And the, the Jehovah's Witnesses would come, and, and uh, then the phone calls would start. And one time... Uh, the phone call came, preacher, and these people, these people didn't claim anything. They didn't go to church or nothing. Preacher, can you come to our house? We had a visitor and they was telling us some things about hell. Would you come to our house? We got questions to ask. I said, I'll be right there. And I went to their house. And while I was talking to them about hell, one of, a family member came in, didn't know I was there, or, I mean, it didn't matter, but anyway, he op- opened the front door and came in and sat down, didn't say nothing, but he was involved in that conversation. And that conversation went on for about 10 minutes, and directly he jumped up and he said, that scares me to death, and out the door he went, and he left. That's all he said, that scares me to death. Well, you know, I want to tell you something. This world is full of people that are scared to death. They won't admit it. They don't like to think about it. They get uncomfortable if you talk to them about it. But this glorious appearing is not a blessed hope for them. And that's the difference in our text verse here. The Bible says, secondly, that it is a blessed hope. Now the first one, the glorious appearing, everybody's going to witness that. It'll be a part of the experience of literally everyone when Jesus comes back. But this part is only the experience of those who are saved. 
It is a blessed hope. A blessed hope. And I've defined this a lot of times, and I'll just read a couple of verses and do this real, real quickly. In the book of Romans, in the 8th chapter, in the 8th chapter, and, and the hope here, and I know I've said it a lot of times, but hope is not the way that we use that word most of the time. I may tell you when church is over, well, I'm going to get in the car and I know what's in the crock pot and I'm heading home. And I hope I make it. That's, that's the way we use it, but that's not the way it is in the Bible. Hope in the Bible is a confident assurance. That's why I say this is only the experience of those who are saved and know they're saved. That's the reason this is one of those marks of this special people. They have assurance. They are secure in their relationship with the Lord. That's why it is. Here's what Paul says about that in Romans chapter 8. I'll read verse 24 and 25. For we are saved by hope, or saved in hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, it's out there. We don't see it, but it's out there. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? In other words, if you have it, you're not hoping for it. That's what he's saying. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? You see, that's the blessed hope. You know, I got it. I'm thankful for it. It is that blessed hope. It is that confidence that what I have not acquired yet, I'm going to because I believe in the Lord. Not long ago, I don't remember, it's been a while, but it hadn't been too long, I took a verse of Scripture and I preached and preached from it till I'm sure I wore everybody out. I remember Brother Reed come by me and quoted it after I'd preached three or four times from it. But here's the verse. It's in Romans 15 and verse 4. It says, For whatsoever things were written afore were written for our learning that we through patience and the comfort of the Scripture might have hope. That's where it comes from. I'll read the 13th verse of that chapter because it says this. Now the God of hope, where does it come from? It comes from Him. The God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. In other words, there's that word again, abound. It means to exceed any measurable mark. Just keep abounding in hope. I tell you what, it's a wonderful thing. Now, we look forward to that, but it's something we got now. We've already got it. We already have it. We're secure in it. We are assured in it. It's a mark of God's special people, as I've shared uh, with you here. We already have it. And the Bible says that these are looking for. In other words, they're patiently looking forward to it. Live in the reality of it even here and now. We're looking for a blessed hope, 
But my friend, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you know for sure you've been saved by His marvelous grace, you got it now. You've already got it. You've got it now. And you dwell on it. And you think about it. So it's something they're looking forward to. In the book of 2 Peter in chapter uh, 3 and in the 12th verse, it says these words, Looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens uh, being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. That's one of the things that's going to make it a glorious appearing. It's what's going to happen surrounding that. But, you know, I used to wonder about these words. And here's what he says. Looking for and hastening unto. Now, what does that mean, hastening unto? Looking forward. That means to desire it, uh, to desire it that it come to pass. Hastening unto, desiring that it will come to pass. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you ever get all frustrated and aggravated at the way things are in our world? Do you ever get frustrated because maybe something is making you suffer? That you have pain or sickness and things like that? I never will forget what uh, uh, Miss Cox, uh, 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 Brittany's grandmother, said to me one time. I, I, I would visit her. She, she got shut in and she got uh, feeble and everything. And she looked me in the eye and she said, Preacher, do you think it's wrong to want to die? I said, No, I don't, under certain conditions. If a person is young and healthy, and I, I've never really understood suicide. I just don't. I, I mean, I, I, I like to try to take care of myself. I, I don't want to inflict anything on me. I want to hang around as long as the Lord wants me to hang around. I just never have really understood it, but I know a lot about it. I know a lot about it because I've experienced, experienced that. And... Uh, but she said those words to me. And I said, no, it's not wrong to want to die under certain conditions. And she said to me, I've just lived my life out. I'm not any good to anybody anymore. And the people around me have to take care of me. And I just don't have any motivation in life anymore. I want to go be with the Lord. Now that settled it right there. What she wanted and Paul said, I have a desire. I'm in a straight betwixt, having a desire to go be with the Lord. He said, which is far better. Have you ever been in a situation where you just got so frustrated because of the ugliness and the terribleness and they some of the awfulest people in this world. I can't imagine how ugly and low down and rotten and dirty and filthy they are. Sometimes I just wonder, and you ever get frustrated and you say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. That's what John said in the Revelation. You ever get to the place where you say, boy, I, 
I want to do the best I can while I'm here. I want to do the best I can. I want to be a good citizen and I want to be good to people. I want to raise my family and I want to enjoy the people around me. But buddy, when that time comes, I'm not going to complain one little bit. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Take me on out of here. That's the blessed hope. And I want to tell you something. We're waiting for it, looking for it, but we got it if we know the Lord. Then I want to just address one more thing real quickly because I've run out of time. And that is not only looking for that blessed hope. This is a neat part of it, I think. But we desire to see the one that made it possible. I want to see Jesus. I just think about it every once in a while. Every one of us are going to stand before Him. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your experience in life may be. I don't care whether you... It doesn't matter whether you know Him or don't know Him as your Lord and Savior. You're still going to be there. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. There was a song that said, I want to see Jesus because He died for me. Oh... I told you the more I think about it, the less adequate I think I am to preach about it. To preach about it. But it says here, let me remind you again, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing, and here it is, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The great God is Jesus. There's not two divine people involved in that statement it is he who is coming back he is God he is the eternal son of God he is God he is Emmanuel for when you come the Bible says God with us and so there are those who don't believe there are those that are even scoffers the Bible says that they say what what about all of this? Because this is something that's been said since our fathers, but they're scoffers. They're unbelievers. But the attitude of the redeemed is altogether different. Now, I have a bunch of scriptures, but I've run out of time related to that. But I do want to share just one with you as we come to the end. And it's in First Thessalonians, and it's or Second Thessalonians, I'm sorry. Second Thessalonians in chapter number one. In 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Now, here's, here's what Jesus means to this special people I've been preaching about. I'll read all this context, but I want to focus on just one verse. In verse 7, Paul says, And you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with the mighty angels. And then here's part of the way it's going to be. Listen to this. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. Oh, aren't you glad this morning you're not on that side? Aren't you glad that's not going to be what this glorious appearing is going to be like for you? But then here in verse 10, I love this verse. Here's what it says. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints. They're going to be delighted, buddy, when that happens. 
and says, To be admired in all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. We're going to be excited about it, and we're going to be admiring him, and we're going to say, Lord, it's so good, so good to be in your presence. Literal presence. We're in his spiritual presence. We're gathered here in this place this morning, and he's here. We're in his spiritual presence this morning. But one of these days, we're going to be literally in his presence. And that's the blessed hope. Looking for it. Looking forward to it. That don't mean you have to be anxious to go. You don't have to be like Miss Cox. She, was, she had worn herself out. She had reached the end. We're not at the end yet. There are things that the Lord's doing for us. Blessing us. Sir, uh, equipping us to serve him and honor him and glorify him. Oh, what a day that'll be. Remember this mark. They are assured and they are confident and they are secure in him. That's one of the marks. That's one of the marks. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this awesome verse. We thank you for what it means to us. We thank you that we can place ourselves right in these words. That we can say, Lord, that's me. Lord, I'm looking forward to that glorious appearing because it is my blessed hope to be able to see the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the hope and assurance and the comfort that you give us this morning. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Now would you stand together with me? Brother Aaron's going to come and lead us in a closing number.